Hello and welcome to Real REE Film Review. Film reviews with related topics and debates. And today in this podcast I'm going to delve into a few related topics arising from my previous reviews and ramblings. They're either film or movie related issues such as, and the three I'll choose today, are the use of well-known actors. Does believability matter? And then lastly, finishing off with metaphors, symbolism, maybe allegories used in film. Do they work? What's the point of them? What is a metaphor? And why do we have them? Do we need them at all? So the films I'm going to be directly referencing today are Whitney, I Want to Dance with Somebody, Avatar, The Way of Water, Till, The Empire of Light, A Man Called Otto, Megan, That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime, Everything Under Control, The Substitute, Unwelcome, Tar, and The Whale. So everything from Whitney to The Whale that I've reviewed in January. Now, plot spoilers uh, throughout, so if you don't want to know the intricate details of the film, stop now. If it ruins it for you, maybe go to my previous podcasts and listen, or go and watch the film and come back to join the discussion. Now, I'm not going to delve in just purely about the the plot or the storylines and how believable they are I'm talking about general concepts and topics so I'm going to delve into some of these issues and maybe cross-reference to some other films along the way Um, but I won't give anything away about those films I'll just maybe briefly reference them so firstly well-known actors well in the list of today's films we've got Tom Hanks, Whoopi Goldberg who's Mamie's mother, um, Olivia Colman, Kate Blanchett, Brendan Fraser now Tom Hanks, I've heard, says what he does in preparation for a film, reportedly, he looks at the script and then plays that man in a movie. Um, So I think, yeah, there is a way of looking at it that he does do that. And if he says he does that, then absolutely. But look at Big. I mean, it's from years ago. Um, I bought it in one of the Woolworths um, bucket uh, sales things. I don't know if any of you remember Woolworths. And the fact that he used to sell off um, cheap DVDs in a little bucket. Um, my kids, who had no idea at a young age who Tom Hanks was, absolutely loved it. Um, and then compare what he did in Big, which is when he acts um, as a child in a, in a man's body. Um, compare that to Castaway or Forrest Gump. And I think, actually... I mean, he's been deliberately self-deprecating uh, there. He does have something, and I think he's a prime example of well-known actors. It works well in a film. It works for the character, not just because he's the actor. So I think he's more than just a face and that man in a movie. And that, for me, links to believability. Um, Naomi Aki in... Um, in, in Whitney, she was believable, very, very believable. And like I said before, I wasn't a big Whitney fan, but obviously I, I knew, I say obviously, why is that obvious? It's not obvious at all. But growing up in the 80s and 90s, I felt like I knew who Whitney was. And I had no problem in the believability of her being Whitney. And so what about the the, the believability of the script? Does that have something to do with it as well? Well, I I, I think so as well. But Conversely to all this, maybe it's the skill of the actor and that a well-known face in Whoopi uh, Goldberg, who you can't fail to recognise, I didn't. Um, I knew she was involved in Till and I thought it was as a director. I, I neglected to look. Now, this is how I go and view films. I don't really read up about them. I might have a brief read. 
but nothing seems to sink in. When I go back and uh, read about the film after I viewed it, especially when it's been a bit confusing, like that time I got reincarnated as a slime, I had to go back and read a little bit more. Uh, and there's another uh, Japanese um, art sword um, animation coming up that I'm uh, going to be reviewing just very briefly, and I went back to, to read the review, not the review of it, the cinema listing of it, and, it, and it seems to make a lot more sense than the first time I read it. Anyway, going back to Whoopi, um, I, I had to think who she was, and, and, and I had to f- find out. So that, and, and I'm not a fan of Whoopi Goldberg now in terms of talk shows, mind you, is there any talk show that's any good? Anyway, I think most of them get on my nerves, um, but that's just me. So... She is a very recognisable face over the years, uh, and I didn't recognise, and that shows how how good uh, an actor she is. Going on to, I don't think we can miss out Olivia Coleman. Um, she's done lots of TV, and she plays Hillary in Empire of Light, and so immediately recognisable, especially to a lot of British audiences. And she did a lot of TV with Broadchurch, I seem to remember. And I've looked at, I've not looked, I've seen a film recently, The Father, on Netflix as well. And she's in that. So with Olivia Coleman, I think it's undoubted that she has great skill as an actor. Um, she has the believability. I'll come on to believability a little bit more because I think it's more than just the character being believable. It's everything to do with the film, the plot and the, the storyline. There's not, not just one essence of believability. And like with Olivia Coleman, it's not just that she's a great actress. Is there something about the way she composes herself? Is there something about the way she looks as well? In terms of, um, she's a familiar face and she can play a whole different host of roles and seemingly her face fits into them. From Elizabeth to uh, Hilary... Um, to, to, to do in the voiceover in Puss in Boots coming up very soon as well. Um, so I, is everything based on their looks? I don't think so, but there is an element, maybe, that their looks don't particularly stand out one way or the other, that they're very malleable. So my question here with the uh, the use of wet, very well-known actors, can you be too conventionally good-looking? for this type of role, which immediately brings me on to uh, Brad Pitt um, in Babylon, next next review, very, very soon. So I'll have to come back to that one. Um, that'll be interesting. I'll review that a lot more when I uh, talk about Babylon. However, I imagine, actually, the use of well-known actors in the film is obviously there's there's the headline, we'll get people in by using this actor, but is the commercial success of a film, really what you're going to see the the film for. No. In some films, I imagine it's got a lot to do with a proven track record. A a proven track record of being easy or good or um, challenging but in a good way to work with. Now, I, I did come across, I've never worked with anybody in the film or movie or even TV industry, but I have come across and done some work with a couple who did a lot of prosthetic and sort of special effects work. Um, Not big special effects, not computer generated, um, what I would call real life prosthetics. So, you know, making it look like you've got a very bruised arm and gory heads and and little models. And I think they did work on the TV series, well-known UK um, uh, TV series from the 80s, Red Dwarf. So 
their advice to a lot of people when they were they were talking to kids basically and they were i mean it's a it's a great workshop to do with kids because they can get bloody scars on their heads and all this kind of thing and then in a sort of discussion with them they say are you interested in this sort of thing are you interested in working in tv or film or the movies and some might say yes and they said look this is just advice general advice but know your craft and they obviously did and they said the other thing is you've got to be uh, someone they said in in tv and film that they were not easy to work with but they basically they kept quiet and they said biggest advice is don't gossip because a lot of these people are talking and they're feeling very stressed and he says your ability to either just take it all in and not do anything with what you've been told or just to block it all out was a major factor he reckoned as well as being good at his craft or the couple of both of them actually they both said this um, they both said that, that the ability not to gossip all the time and just to not talk about other people was very, very useful in the entertainment industry. So is it the same for actors? Um, I, I imagine Shane Meadows, who's directed many uh, a, a Brit film, uh, uses a lot of the same actors. Uh, and I think it's the method that he wants to work with them, uh, that they know. Um, and someone else, Paddy Considine, who's... Um, done quite a few films of his own now um i i, I am going to be doing a, one of my uh, weird cryptic film optic crosswords very soon on 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 paddy considine and shane meadows films i thought that would be a, a nice little thing to do um and maybe um because puss in boots is, is coming out and i'll be reviewing that very soon um a dreamworks one is next as well um so going back to shane meadows and paddy considine do they work with the same actors? Now, they're not well-known. Well, they are if you follow those kind of films. Um, I th- I think a lot of the use of well-known actors is there is the broad thing of to pull people in on the big movies, but maybe it's a lot more to do with how well people work with them. Um, just on a side note on Paddy Considine, if you are from the UK... Um, He's, um, this, is, <laughs> this is contradictory, he's sort of well-known for being the only well-known person from Burton-upon-Trent. And if you know Burton, you'll know it's famous for beer. Is there anybody else? And, and it's quite a big place, you know, it's a big town. There's a lot of people there. Is anybody else famous from Burton? Going on to believability, because I think that links into Shane Meadows' films, because they're very... Um, well, uh, although the plot might not be totally believable in some aspects, um, you're not worried about that because the setting and the way actors move and speak is very believable and down to earth. Now, I believe just from reading about this ages ago that he has a loose script, but he likes to do a lot of work with the actors on just saying this is what happens and then this. Now, just it, not improvise. I think they work on improvisation. Um, incidentally people think improvisation means it's all totally made up but there's a lot of practice that can go into improvisation a lot of rules in comedy improvisation as well Um, so the believability I don't think it's not just the acting Um, because most acting in films in films especially and maybe not on TV is at least very good is at least portrayed in a way where you're not thinking that they're acting i mean that, that that's the basic job um there are some unconvincing performances but is that more to do with the script or the direction or the editing the way that this is being produced 
Now, I think a lot of believability is about the flow of the plot, the next action of the characters. Now, it doesn't always have to be conventional or believable in the sense of, well, that's what I think will happen. I don't mean like that. I mean the development of sequences um, versus the insertion of unlikely or coincidental events. The thing is, sometimes things do happen. So, for example, let's refer back to the films. In A Man Called Otto, um, just as Otto is thinking, right, the, the, the one sure way of making sure I end my own life is to throw myself in front of a train. And what happens is a man falls onto the tracks with a heart attack. Just about when Otto is going to throw himself onto the tracks. Now, this works. Why? I think the sequencing of it, because there's been quite a few attempts. So you kind of know attempts at his own life. You kind of know what's going to be coming up. It's not just a one-off scene. That things like this do happen. Um, it's used, like I said, in It's a Wonderful Life um, and to stop George throwing himself off the bridge, the angel, and throws himself in, knowing that he will save him. So the same happens here. It is different, and I did uh, talk about that in my review, review, so I won't go on about that too much. Um, but what might seem incongruous events do happen in real life and can be reflected in films such as in a man called Otto. However, believability and, and with Megan or me three gan as my son called it, the therapist turns up at the door. Now, um, the, the little girl has lost her parents and her sister has lost her sister. Um, there's trauma. Now, it's a sort of, was it a comedy horror? Um, it really should have been, I think. Anyway, I didn't think it was believable that just in the small... In there's, there's two things here. There's the close-up view of this. So she rings the door and she goes over and answers the door and then they're both looking at each other. It's like when somebody calls you on the phone and then they say nothing. It's like, you called me. And then she you know, expected her to know who she was. Now, maybe, maybe you do, but no one, no one stands at a door and says nothing when they've knocked or rang the doorbell, do they? Or if they do, there's something a little bit wrong with them. And there shouldn't be something wrong with a therapist. And then the believability. Now, it's just for the plot. And this is where I think it's a clunky idea to look at how well they interact together. They're just sorry, not in this day and age. And, and it's obviously a modern or uh, based in using modern technology based in modern times. Now, I know it's supposed to be a bit of fun, but things have to work and be believable. Um, thinking about believability and, and maybe sort of some incongruous things happen. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll briefly talk about the attack on Stephen in Empire of Light. Um, I mean, it's not a great big thing in the film, I don't think, but it's an underlying current that flows underneath, you know, something that he's got to contend with. Certainly when Stephen turns up at the Empire of Light, there seems to be no, uh, the only prejudice towards him is probably that he's young. Um, and the cinematographer, the cinematographer played by Toby Jones is just dismissive of everybody. Um, but I don't think he means to be when you see the later development of his character. The believability bit here that I'm going to talk about is when Hillary and Stephen go up to the very top floor. Now, 
the whole sort of build-up of that is is believable. He wants to go and see it. You get you get the idea. That this is a bit run down as well. I mean, this is the early eighties. Um, Britain has been through the seventies, and so and this is set in nineteen eighty or nineteen eighty one. So uh, things are a lot different then, and the, the fact that it's just being deserted. You know, it it does happen. Not everything is instantly turned into luxury, prestigious uh, um, duplex or apartments. Um, like it seems to happen now with any empty building or part of a building. And they go up to the very top of the cinema building and it's full of birds and they come across an injured bird. And um, he, he, Stephen takes his sock off and cuts a hole in and, and puts it around the bird and they, they go up and nurse the bird. Now, what is this about? Well, I'm going to come back to this in a second because there's another example in The Empire of Light about the use of metaphor and imagery and symbolism. But the, the whole believability of that scene, I think, works. It, it, it just works. You know, why have that up there? Why, why do that? Well, it, it shows tenderness. It shows getting better. It shows just a sort of light touch. It shows the passage of time. Um, and it's all symbolism, isn't it? So I'll, I'll need to get onto that pretty quickly. It works. The attack, when they, the, the national demonstration, uh, I say national demonstration. I don't know what demonstration it was, but it was a load of skinheads and racists marching down the front. And, and you think, yeah, no, they would do down there. This isn't a back sh- um, a, a cinema on a, a, a secluded road or anything like that. And then the build-up of suspense, it, it, it makes you want to believe this. And, and it didn't happen right at the beginning. In fact, if it did happen right at the beginning of the film in, in some other kind of plot, it probably would have worked as the setting up for the film. But the way it was used at the end... Um, and that he got injured and he got attacked and to show all the outside prejudices um, that he would have to deal with in society and quite a, a, a stark contrast compared to what was happening in the cinema um, where they were doing lots of different things um, it is believable, we, we, we want to believe that so I'm going to go on to Unwelcome where literally nothing is believable from the first attack in London where they uh, smack at the door and come in. and um, I mean, it's horrible, it's a brutal attack, but uh, to me it was just, oh. And then the house, when they arrive in Ireland, and it looks like this sort of lit-up um, set. It looked like it was made on a stage. It was, it was almost too colourful. And the garden with the door... Um, and 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 then and then the believability. And I'm going to go back to sort of the acting, but the the gremlin Yoda-like things, sort of moving around. I I just and it just wasn't funny, believable though. I, there were just too many things were inserted. I don't think someone had sat down and really thought about how is this going to come across to the viewer. I, as you can tell, I re- I really didn't like it. And so in stark contrast, Tar. Everything that was done was in a real-life situation, believable style throughout. Um, Barring maybe that nauseating opening with the fast-moving music and clips and cuts of uh, a tailored suit being made up. Um, After that, that was sort of done in a different style. It was almost like they're warming up on that. But the rest of it was done in this, not fly on the wall, but this is real life playing out. And there was nothing that you thought, well, that wouldn't quite happen like that. That was too quick. That was too slow. That was artificially lit or anything. You know, the cinematography was was superb. 
Um, shame about the rest of the film. But it was boring. So just because it looks right doesn't mean it's engaging. It doesn't make the characters sympathetic or we have an understanding or, or, of, or an awareness of the characters' feelings. And so do you have to have that? Well, in stark comparison, everything under control, the uh, comedy, I'm going to call it a caper, um, action uh, uh, about the security guard setting Hong Kong, it was almost fantasy in some parts. What it was, uh, the opening part was, and I suppose this sets the scene for you, is where they're all playing cards, but this is set on the screen for you in, a, in that weird sort of floaty kung fu style where everyone's fighting each other. So it's almost fantasy, almost dreamlike, and then crossed with very real-life um, stupidity bits, the, uh, in, in particular the, the comic bit. I really, really liked it. I think I was the only one to laugh out loud. Though. And you know it's coming up, where the security guard gets out and thinks, well, I'm going to be the one that stands up to the, these bandits who are going to rob the diamonds from our van right at the beginning of the film. And Wills is going around, and you know it's coming, and then, boom, smash him, smashes himself in their head. That kind of thing lends itself to you wanting to go with the story and believe it in a different way. It puts the audience at ease. Um, you know that there's some stupid stuff is going to happen and it's not in favour of the protagonists here. You know, the security guards are not going to be able to do their jobs. It's, for me, that's like the film equivalent of the aside in a play or a panto. Now, you can do an aside in a film. It has to be very, very carefully done. Um, going on to The Substitute, where I thought the set and the setting was completely believable. I likened it to having a local sandwich compared to a franchise pizza or something like that. Um, I like the classroom with the sleeping student, and, and this was really remarked on, on the way the kids didn't make a big fuss of it, and he just let it be. Um, and nothing was overdone. The staff room, um, it didn't do that sort of everything's really busy, but it had a busy feel. And just the dialogue was sparse enough for for me anyway, um, having been in many staff rooms over the years, uh, to think, yeah, no, I, that's it just invited you into the film, I thought. Um, and, and you compare that to the house in Unwelcome. Well, <laughs> and so the whale, I'm going to come on to just talk for a few minutes uh, more about uh, symbolism in the whale before concluding today's uh, podcast. Because um, the, the whale, in terms of believability, if you laid everything down, you just think, can this work? Is this believable? Um, a massively obese, or morbidly obese man contacts his daughter. There's a preacher that turns up, um, and et cetera, et cetera. All the things that go on in the film. But it, it does work. It, it felt like an up-close set, I think, reflecting the, the fact that it came from a play. But I think more than that, there was... And here's where I'm going to go on to the use of symbolism. The, the constant rain in the background um, that you got a feel of every time he opened the door to get his pizza or people... Or they went for a discussion outside. Um, or you could see through the shutters. Now, what does rain um, symbolise? Well, in this film, it's obviously the washing away. You know, there's the clip from the trailer. I, I want to do at least one good thing in my life. I want to know that I've done something. So this is assuaging his guilt, washing away his sins. It's one of the oldest symbols, really, isn't it? The use of water and the washing of hands. Lady Macbeth 
out down spot and all that. Um, so, look, what are s- symbols and metaphors? Do they work in films? Do you think it's a little bit too in-depth to think that there is so much symbolism and metaphor in films? Well, I think The Whale is absolutely replete with these. The essay of Moby Dick, Moby Dick, and, and it, it spells it out for you, is talking about the whales in order um, to avoid talking about his own problems. But the whale is what that, what lies beneath. And what you have to remember about when uh, Moby Dick was written was underwater um, cinematography or underwater cameras were just not invented as far as I could tell. So I, I know for the most of the part of the 19th century, People had no idea what underwater creatures looked like, um, generally. Uh, hence why there are lots of uh, strange pictures of Leviathan kind of like beings in a lot of artwork at this time. And so the whale itself in Moby Dick and then reflected in the story. And here's where we have a sort of metaphor of Charlie being huge and being beached like a whale, stranded with the water all around him, trying to solve uh, his problem of reconnecting with his daughter and making up for, for what he has done, you know, a chance of redemption. So he wants to wash away his sins. And noticeably, he remembers and talks with his ex-wife about the last time that he was in water at the sea. And this is the scene that he remembers at the end. And so the rain turns to blinding light. And lots of th- things sort of mixing together. Now, do our films, do they make them to really show this imagery and symbolism? I think yes, and any decent film will. It's like the, the writer of a book. When I first was made to read um, Lord of the Flies, which I think now is an absolutely, um, ground, not groundbreaking book, what am I on about? It's an amazing book, it's a great story. But the, I remember being told by my English teacher that these things were symbols. And I thought, really? Does the writer have time? Did they think about these things to include symbols in it? The conch. I think the, the one symbol that was never talked about was um, Piggy himself and his accent, and he's obviously working class compared to the rest of the um, private public school boys. Um, and his glasses. Um, the, 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 the seemingly the only sort of manufactured, uh, complex... Uh, for want of a better word, tool, tool for Piggy to see, but also to create light, uh, to create, well, light also, but fire, light coming from the fire, to create fire, which is one of the essential elements of survival. And, and uh, interestingly, um, that's talked about by, by Hegel being, um, uh, the philosopher, German philosopher Hegel being one of the elements, along with um, the clock or the measuring of time, um, a home, security, or shelter, and uh, fire, the mastery of fire by man, being one of the essential elements to the development of, of everything about humans. So that symbolism in Lord of the Flies, I don't think, is, is picked up uh, very, very much. Um, going back to um, the Empire of Light, light is used in it, it's obvious. They're in a cinema, it's projecting light. Um, find where light in darkness lies. So the whole thing here about light, it's hope. I mean, why do we light candles um, for events? And so Hillary, um, the hope in her life, and lots of metaphors there, like I, I said earlier, with the bird being healed. And then Hillary watches the film at the end, being there, 
And so the lights, the light projecting this film is, is all about existence and that, that light can never be extinguished. I think any film that you seemingly love and you maybe don't understand why at first has deep metaphors and imagery and symbolism within it that tune in to the human psyche and make these things a deeper experience, which is why I think that the Japanese anime um, films like that time I got reincarnated as a slime really work for teenagers. Uh, they're making sense, I think, of, of the world, not outwardly, but in a way that they identify with these characters. Um, anyway, I'm going to end my discussion there so that we're within uh, three minutes. I hope you join me for um, my review, a non-plot spoiler review, of the films that have come out at the end of January and a very early part of February. I will be reviewing The Fablemans, Babylon, uh, playing and Knock at the Cabin very, very soon, following up with uh, an in-depth discussion about some of the issues related to that film. Following that, I'm going to be reviewing uh, a very different film, Ennis Men, Puss in Boots, uh, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, and the Japanese anime film Sword Art Online Progressive Shed Show of Deep Night. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you very soon.